Welcome to Biz Talk with Jim Labato, a full hour of insight, discussion, and opinion on you, your career, and your business. We tackle your frustrations, your hopes, and even get to some of your dreams. The office is now open. Here's your Biz Talk host, Jim Labato, on News Radio 1040, WHO. Welcome to Biz Talk. I'm your host, Jim Labato. This talk provides you access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. When I'm not hosting BizTalk, I'm the founder and president of a company called Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the people who generate your revenue. We also provide programs that get them up to speed, doing that faster. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Welcome to our program tonight. I was. It's interesting how some things come together because I was getting prepared for our program, and uh, I am a big fan of college football and watching the Hawkeyes um, play Indiana. We won't talk about that, uh, and but watching uh, uh, Iowa State play Oklahoma, and we won't talk about that. But in the, in the newspaper today, they, they mentioned they quoted uh, uh, Coach Stoops from Oklahoma, uh, kind of going back on his. His word, as they were, they called him on the fact that when he took over at Oklahoma, he said, uh, you know, no excuses why this program won't, you know, can't succeed and shouldn't succeed. And, and then uh, the uh, columnist called him on it because uh, he was making excuses of why they lost to Notre Dame. He was quoted as saying that uh, Oklahoma lost to Notre Dame last week. And he was quoted as saying that, uh, you know, a call's a gun a, a few different ways uh, that they would have won that ball game. And it's a pretty tough measure to live up to, to make no excuses. And excuses are very interesting because they are lies that we tell ourselves so we don't have to change. Now, think about that for a second. Excuses are lies we tell ourselves so we don't have to change. You know, I could do better if I just made more money. Uh, I could get more done if I just had more time, you know, which is always fun in, in, in our uh, at our office because every Monday we go through you know, what happened over the weekend, what's positive, would you learn last week? We share those lessons learned and things that went positive with you. And, and then we go to roadblocks, what's holding you back. And, you know, people will sometimes say, well, I just had more time. Which of my response is that, uh, you know, it's generally not lack of time, it's lack of focus. Lack of time, we're blaming it on that, is, uh, is, is really just is an excuse. Now, where does that tie into what we're talking about? If that drives you nuts, too, because it does me, uh, all the excuse-making that goes on, uh, then uh, you want to stay tuned for our guest tonight. Sam Silverstein is back with us, and uh, Sam's going to talk about that and talk about how leadership can negate that. More importantly, how leadership can really set the tone and tempo so excuses are not allowed inside the organizations that you work with or inside your family, whatever you want to apply it to. Before we get to that, a couple of resources that are available to you. You can go out to the website, biztalkradioshow.com. We've completely redone it. It's easier to navigate. And you can, on the front page, click on any of the guests we've had in the past. That will take you either to their website or to the book that we're talking about uh, for you to order or get more information from our guests. We're, we're excited about being able to share that with you in one click. You can go under our resources and you can listen to podcasts of all of our previous programs. And you can subscribe to that through iTunes. Also, you can go to uh, Key Insights on the BizTalk website, biztalkradioshow.com. 
We have uh, Sales Quick Coach, which are two-minute timeouts to improve your performance if you're in the sales profession. And we also have Hire the Best, insights on hiring eight players in today's marketplace. Those are two blogs. We try to share pertinent information with you. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at uh, BizTalk1040, and you can like us on Facebook. So there are some resources that are available. And if you go out to my LinkedIn account, uh, I also you can find me on LinkedIn, and, and I share a lot of uh, information on, on my LinkedIn account of things that I'm reading or um, it connects to different websites that I find interesting. Yeah, and I, and I was talking to, along the lines of making no excuses, I think this ties in close to this. I think one of the hardest things to answer are these two questions. Number one, what do you want to do in your life? That, that seems to be a very hard question for us to, to answer. And the second hardest question is, what do you want them to do, whoever them is? Could be a spouse, could be a children, could be a coworker, could be a fellow employee, could be one of your direct reports. And what do you want other people to do? So if you're leading and directing people, that's one of the uh, questions I think you need to ask. And I asked a... One of my clients the other day, I said, what do you need this person to do in this role? And Because we're trying to go find somebody for him to fill the sales role. And, and my client fired back, you know, kind of rolled his eyes actually and said, well, I need this person to hit the revenue mark in their territory. And I said, so if they do this by giving away margins uh, or most of the revenue comes in for just one or two customers in the territory, while they're not doing their sales reports and failing to turn in expense reports at time, and they're being late for sales meetings, under those conditions, would hitting the revenue marks just be okay? And they said, well, no, I didn't say that. And we spent some time then identifying what specifically they expected from the person that filled the role of a regional sales manager. The reason I bring this up is I was reading Stephen Covey's book the other day. Stephen just passed away, if you haven't heard about that. But in 1989, he wrote the best-selling book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It sold 25 million copies in 38 languages. And most hiring managers today has not read the book, or it's been a while since most hiring managers have. So here's just a quick refresher from the book on habit number two, which is begin with the end in mind. As with my client, having your salespeople hit their annual sales marks is an important goal and one reason why the sales role does exist. At the same time, it is equally as important to identify what elements of success are needed along the way towards hitting the annual revenue goal. Typically, we recruit people from within our own industry. When we do this, we often assume that these candidates share our own insights into what it takes to be successful in the role. This assumption I have learned leads to a lot of false starts and misaligned expectations between the manager and their direct report. So here's how to make it clear what you believe in, that the required elements of success are for the roles that you're hiring. So imagine this. You're in a meeting with your new hire, and it's their employment anniversary, so one year after you hired them. And you say to that person, gosh, Bob, I'm glad I hired you because I'm really happy with your progress. Now, not ecstatic, but also not disappointed, just happy. My question to you is this. What would have to happen in order for you to get that type of response? What would have to happen to get that kind of response from you, that they're happy with their performance? Now, whatever comes to mind, just write that down. And after you've written down everything that comes to mind, review your list and check it to see if there are ones on there that can be measured quantifiably. Now, here's some guidelines when you go through that to make this kind of an effective exercise for you. Happy with their progress is the key. 
not the results, the progress. It could be that they demonstrated that they know all your product lines and their applications by making a presentation to the sales staff within 60 days of their employment. Maybe it's completing the top 10 customer reviews within the six months of their employment. It has to be quantifiable. Your success elements must also be objectively and quantifiably measured. If they're subjective, I'll guarantee you, you'll be disappointed and your employee will be frustrated. Number three is, you should have no more than six success elements that you can actually measure. Fourth element is, for each one, ask yourself, has anyone ever achieved this before? If no one has achieved that success element you wrote down, I suggest you set the bar at its static and not happy. So adjust your expectations to a happier level. And the last thing to keep in mind is, you're not setting career expectations, just expectations for their first year. Surely the expectations you have for a new employee would not be the same ones you'd have on their third year. You should expect your people to continue to grow and develop their skills, especially your salespeople. So reset their level of expectations and what would make you happy each year. Start with the end in mind by defining what success in the job looks like and then recruit, hire, and onboard and manage towards those goals. Having identified your elements of success, you can incorporate them into your job posting and your career process. And here's what it'll do for you. It'll attract candidates that want to meet those expectations. They'll be excited about those expectations. You won't waste time interviewing candidates that will disappoint you and can't meet your expectations. You'll save yourself from hiring someone you'll spend endless hours coaching. And you'll free yourself up to do what you really want to do, which is leading, directing, and coaching and mentoring your sales team instead of babysitting them. At the Performance Group, we've identified 62 measurable expectations in 12 categories, which you can use to measure your new hire. If you want to learn how you can leverage this in building a stronger sales team than what you currently have, just send me an email to info at biztalkradioshow.com, and I'll gladly get that information over to you. Info at biztalkradioshow.com. Setting those clear expectations seems to be so difficult, but not when you go through that exercise. Up next, we're going to talk to Sam Silverstein. Stay tuned. You're listening to BizTalk on News Radio 1040 WHO. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to BizTalk. My guest this evening is Sam Silverstein. Sam is the past president of the National Speakers Association, which I'm also a member of and is a certified speaking professional, which I'm not, and he is, and that's one of the highest honors you can receive from the NSA. Originally from Atlanta, he has a business degree from the University of Georgia and an MBA from Washington University and resides currently in St. Louis. Sam knows how to get a million-dollar results out of uh, companies because his companies have sold upwards of $100 million in products and services, and he successfully sold one of his businesses to a Fortune 500 company. Corporations such as Aflac and Lucent Technologies rely on Sam's leadership speaking in, in terms of learning how to sell more, be more effective leaders, and provide greater service and increase income for everyone. So, Sam, welcome to the program. Well, Jim, how are you today? You know, I'm fantastic, and, and I was thinking that uh, at one point you got to be ecstatic because, uh, uh, well, if, if you're... If you're uh, a Georgia uh, Georgia uh, fan, but then the other aspect, you got to be disappointed in our Cardinals this year. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, they both wear red, um, which is kind of an interesting phenomenon. Um, 
But you know what? The Cardinals did have a good year, and I think yeah, they did. I think sometimes expecting expecting someone to go all the way isn't always necessarily the realistic uh, expectation. Yeah, I always like the line from uh, Billy Bean in the movie Moneyball. Yeah, where they congratulate him on like the twenty win streak, and he says, "No one really remembers." Unless you win the last game. Right. Uh, you know, that's pretty prolific. Well, Sam, well, it's great having you back on the program. Uh, originally, you were on. We talked about your best-selling book, No Excuses. And, and we thoroughly enjoyed that uh, conversation because my personal belief, and, and I hope it's shared by other leaders out there, that when you're making excuses inside a corporation, it's really a cancer that just starts to grow. And it never gives you a chance to uh, address the real issues. So it's an important topic. We're glad you were on before. It's even more ecstatic to have you back. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that greatly. It's always nice to have the opportunity to share our message of no more excuses and our whole philosophy about proactive accountability because, as you know, we have a mission that, that we want to create a more accountable world. And we do that both in the realm of working with adults and We've also started our Accountability Academy Student Edition. So we're, we have a goal of, of wanting to reach a million students in high school and college and teach them what accountability really is all about. Wow, That's, that is exciting. And, a- and you said something earlier on the call in the first segment that you caught my attention. When you, when you were touching base, you were talking about football, and, you know, it's so easy for these coaches to – fall into the trap of saying some sort of cliché line. But when a coach says, uh, you know, things could have come out different if a few calls had gone our way or a different way, um, I really have a problem with that. And I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think you were to. alluding to this, but basically what he was saying, in my opinion, is that, that the effort of the players doesn't matter, that the players aren't accountable for the outcome of the game that the only one that's accountable for the outcome of the game is the ref. And, and I think that's a bad message. I think that the players are accountable for the outcome of the game. And you know what? Sometimes the calls go your way and sometimes they don't, but we still have the responsibility to do what it is that we have trained for, that we know what we need to be doing. We have the responsibility to execute. We have the responsibility to pick up our teammates. We have the responsibility to be more effective, more passionate leaders on the field, on the sideline. There's so many things that that everyone on that team is accountable for that if you take the focus off those players and you put it on a ref or or a call that didn't go your way, then you're basically stripping everyone of their accountability. Yeah, it's interesting because um, uh, the late, great Vince Lombardi, who was the uh, head football coach for the Green Bay Packers, and I forget the player, so I won't attempt to quote him, but one of their famous plays where they did a sweep around in and, and it just happened to work and they, they scored and won, a, I think, one of the Super Bowls, one of the many that they won under Vince. But the player made a comment that um, every play the Packers ran under Vince Lombardi, he awarded points to every player because every player had an assignment in every play. So let's say it was going around left end and you're on the right-hand side, you still had an assignment. If you missed your assignment, you didn't get the points. And the player made a comment that, uh, which, you know, it's, it's amazing. He can quote it, what, 30, 40 years later. He said, you know, he says, I missed my assignment, but I got a block and basically won the football game. He said, but I still lost my points. In other words, they're ecstatic that they won, 
but he didn't get his points because he didn't execute on that play. Wow. And it is It is a wow when you stop and think about that you would break down the game to the point where everybody's assigned some type of accountability. And I think it's so easy for us, like you said, to fall in that trap. But the other side of that, it's so easy not to make those excuses. I'll never, I'll never forget one time one of my high school, uh, one of my high school football coach made a comment in a press conference one time. Someone said, uh, "Well, did the did the rain, you know, really affect your your running a game tonight?" And he fired right back and he said, "You know, it rains on both sides of the line of scrimmage. You know, just no excuses on on why we performed the way we did that evening." So let's talk about that for a second, since it is an important topic. Uh, share with our audience the four faces of accountability. What are they, and why are they important? Well, you know, we talk about the four faces of accountability, but kind of right before that, and, and what you were talking about here is that uh, it's interesting because I'm just finishing up my letter from the editor for Accountability Magazine, which we publish on uh, iTunes for the iPad, and we we're talking about accountability and leadership, and Great leaders not only know what they're accountable for, but they teach the people around them what it is that those individuals are accountable for, so that everyone on the team understands where their accountability lies. And, you know, that's the same whether you're dealing with a football team, whether you're dealing with the sales team. You know, it's, it's everyone involved needs to know what their accountability is so they can execute on it and execute on it proactively, not waiting for something to go wrong, but getting it right in the first place. So um, we talk about the four phases of accountability, and the first two phases are the accountability that we hold ourselves to ourselves and the accountability we hold ourselves to others. And I, I look at those two together because they go hand in hand. And imagine a situation where tomorrow morning you say, well, you know what, went to the football game, had a little tailgating over the weekend, maybe didn't get quite the exercise I need, so tomorrow morning I'm going to get up early, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to work out, and uh, maybe uh, maybe get a little aerobic exercise in. And then you say, you know, at 11 o'clock I'm going to meet with so-and-so and we're going to discuss this new opportunity. And the question I would ask is, which one of those two meetings are you most likely to keep? Hmm. <laughs> I, I get the impression that's a trick question. <laughs> it's not really a trick question. I ask this question thousands to thousands of people literally every week. I want to know, here's what I ask them. Is it easier to be accountable to yourself or is it easier to be accountable to someone else? Well, I, I would, okay. For myself, it, if someone sets that appointment, I'm going to show up. You're going to show up. Why? Right. Why is it easier to be accountable to someone else? I feel like I don't want to let them down. You I don't feel... want to let them down? Right. Yeah? yeah You're that... worried about what they're going to think about you? Yeah. Um, it's probably you have a it's important. in the industry? Right, and it's an, probably an important topic. That's why we set the meeting, so let's all show up ready to go. Yep, could be important. Um, we, we come up with these reasons, but, you know, we, we, made, we made an appointment with ourselves. It's an important uh, in this case, it's health. That's important. Um, but here's, here's what, what I hear over and over and over again. And one person, one of my audiences, just made this painfully clear when they said it's easier to lie to yourself than it is to lie to someone else. And so what happens is that uh, we fall into the trap of being accountable to others 
before we're accountable to ourselves. And the reality of the situation is I can't be accountable to you until I'm accountable to myself. I can't truly be there for you until I am truly accountable to myself. And by that I mean you have to go past the dictionary definition of accountability, which is responsibility for something or to someone. I define it beyond that, that we're making choices that are congruent or actions that are in alignment with our values. So we need to take the time to determine what our values are, know what they are, and then we need to make decisions that are in alignment with those values. And when we're doing that, we're being accountable, and when we're accountable to ourselves, then and only then can we be accountable to someone else. I want to come back and explore that with you, uh, because it almost sounds counterintuitive because we just talked about the fact it's easier to be accountable to somebody else. So we'll discuss that when we come back. You're listening to Biz Talk on News Radio 1040. WHO. The balance sheet for your brain. Biz Talk with Jim Lebato on News Radio 1040 WHO. Glad you could join us here tonight. Our guest is Sam Silverstein, and we're talking about driving accountability not only in your personal life, but also in everything you do in your business life. And Sam, on one aspect, you asked a really good question. Is it easier to um, keep a meeting you make with yourself or easier to keep a meeting you made with somebody else? And I said, well, of course, it's easier to show up for some, the meeting you have with somebody else. And, and since that's easier, um, doesn't it make more sense you had an accountability partner that would make it easy for you to be accountable for the things you want to be held accountable for? Because of the reverse side of that, you say you have to be first accountable to yourself and your values. E- either that or it just it's extremely hard to do the first one. I don't know. Well, I believe in accountability partners, and I believe that uh, we're going we're gonna to get to that when we get to the fourth phase of accountability. And I believe that we can help each other be accountable. But at some point in time, we have to make sure that we understand what it is we really stand for and that we're making decisions and choices that back that up, that says we're not being a hypocrite. And the truth of the matter is, if you, and I have a meeting tomorrow at 11 o'clock, Unless I'm really accountable to myself first, I'm not going to show up 100% for you. I might be there, but I might not be as prepared as I need to be. I might not have uh, spent as much time creating ideas that can make a difference for you. I might not be going beyond what your expectations are. And that really comes from understanding that we're accountable to ourselves first and taking that accountability seriously and and it goes deeper because sometimes, you know, when we're worried about what other people think about us and we're not worried about what we think of ourselves, then what happens is, is we let our own self-esteem potentially get in the way of what it is that we're willing to try or take on. And, you know, if we don't believe we can succeed at something, we're not going to take on the challenge. And if we don't take on the challenge, then we have no opportunity to to achieve it. So... We have to be concerned what we think about ourselves. We have to be guards of our self-esteem, and we need to make sure that we're being accountable to ourselves so that we can truly be accountable to others. Okay. So the four faces of accountability are what then? So the first phase is accountability we hold ourselves to ourselves. The second right. phase is accountability we hold ourselves to others. The third phase is the accountability that we help others hold to ourselves. Say that again. The accountability that we help others hold to ourselves. 
And this gets a little complicated. There's several things going on there. One, I don't believe that we hold other people accountable. I think we help other people be accountable. And it's a, a, a subtle difference in words, but a significant difference in attitude and results. Managers hold people accountable. Leaders help others be accountable. And the difference is all in your approach and your attitude. It's not about holding a gun to someone's head. It's about helping people be successful. And I know that you believe in servant leadership and that a leader isn't a leader because they fill that top box on the uh, organizational chart. A leader is a leader because, it, because, because they show the characteristics, they show the uh, talents and skills, and they have people that are following, that are looking for direction. And leaders lead from behind, and they make sure that everyone on their team is successful. Leaders help others be accountable. They don't hold them accountable, and that's a significant difference. But here's the thing. We have trouble with that. We have trouble helping people be accountable. Why do you think that is? Why do you think people have trouble having that conversation with someone when they've gone wrong? Well, I think it could be it could be a number of things. Number one, it could be that uh, they have failed doing the same thing, so they feel guilty about calling someone else on it. Okay. Number, and number two, it could be they maybe not the first time they let this. They, is maybe the seventh or eighth time they've done it. So now they feel bad that the uh, that uh, they're now calling out when they let them slide before. Or I have learned that some people see that as conflict. They they don't want to have this conflict going on. It's exactly right. And those are the answers that we always get. Right. The other answer we get a lot in Asia, you know, is, is about saving face and and um, the cultural recognition there that you don't want to embarrass somebody. Right. Here's the thing. If 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 you have a report that's due and you need some information from me, and I tell you that I'm going to get it to you by Sunday night, so you can have this report done by Monday afternoon, and I don't get it to you on a timely basis. When you don't get your report turned in, it's not going to look good for you. And for you to turn around and say, well, I couldn't get my report done because Sam didn't get me the information. Well, you know, the person that you report to really doesn't want to hear that. That's, that's not what you were hired for. You were hired to get that report turned in every month on time. So what happens when you let me get away with not having my information to you on time you're allowing me to be substandard, subpar. You're allowing me to do work that is not acceptable. And so not only are you not getting what you need done, you're not taking advantage of the opportunity to help me be a better person. And so we look at that confrontation. We look at that conversation, and we're so worried about, about upsetting someone, about losing their friendship when in fact what we're doing is we're hurting them by not having that conversation. And you said it yourself. You said, you know, well, we probably let them get away with it a few times, and so it's kind of hard to call them on it now. Well, it's got to be from the get-go that we have to help people be accountable. We have to let them know that our expectation is that when they say they're going to do something, it's going to get done because we're dependent on that. And it's kind of like, you know, a lot of times – I'll ask, I'll ask people, have you ever fired someone and then subsequent to that ran into that individual somewhere down the line? You know, maybe two, three years later or five or six years later. And have you ever had the situation where the person has said, you know what, the best thing that ever happened to me was when you let me go? 
And I, I get people all the time, they say that ex, they experience this. And we're so worried about the conversation, we're so worried about the confrontation, that we, we hang on and we let people get away with stuff, and we're not helping them be their best. And that's the key. When we help someone be accountable, we're showing them and we're teaching them and we're helping them be their best. And, and Sam, you bring up a good point of, of helping others, you know, be held accountable to themselves. But at the same time, uh, do you do you see a lot of managers asking that person what they want or trying to get accomplished out of that job? I mean, you know, people don't just show up for just a paycheck. They're trying to get something out of the job. Do, do most of the managers or leaders out there know what people are showing up to work to do every day? Or well, why they show see, that's an excellent point. Uh, manage, you don't manage people. You manage things. So what do you manage? You manage IT. You manage uh, uh, payroll. You manage inventory. Uh, you manage the money. That, but you lead people. And leadership means understanding what someone's needs are, what their desires are, what are their goals, what are they trying to achieve. And then as an effective leader, our job is to help them be successful. And when we do that, then what happens is you build an organization of people who are achieving their goals, their dreams, their aspirations, and the organization is achieving its goals, dreams, and aspirations. The, um, the thing that comes to mind on this is, is understanding, you know, what is it about um, – that person that motivates them uh, to show up and want to do a good job. So what is the, uh, what are the two or three things you tell your leaders they should be asking their employees? Well, the first thing in any relationship, the most important question you can ask is why. We, we don't go deep enough in our relationships. So if you're talking with someone and, they, and they're going on vacation next week, and where are you going? Well, I'm going to Alaska. Well, that's nice. Have a good time. End of conversation. I want to know why they're going to Alaska. Why Alaska? What is it about Alaska that caught your eye? Why are you going there? Well, you see, my dad always wanted to go to Alaska, and he wanted to do this, and he loved to fish, and this and that, and da-da-da-da-da. And now, all of a sudden, you really get to know what this person is about. You get to know what motivates them. You get to know what trips their trigger. And when you learn what's important to somebody, when you know the why, then you know how to serve. And that's what leadership is. It's serve. It's serving these people and helping them achieve what they're trying to achieve. So we need to know the why. We need to understand what it is that, that, that motivates them to get up in the morning. And the other thing that we need to know also about the people in our lives, whether it's at work or at home, we need to know what keeps them up at night. What's your greatest fear? What are you concerned with? Because if we can help eliminate that, then that's service as well. And that's what great leadership is about. Sam, when we come back, we'll talk about the fourth and final phase. Uh, before we take a break, uh, I do want to talk about uh, just a couple of things. Um, one is that um, Bruce Piyosaki is coming up on a future program. He wrote the book, Doing More with Less. And, and Bruce said something that was uh, very interesting. Uh, Bruce said that it doesn't matter who is president because six out of the 11 largest economies in the world, he said, are corporations. He said, we should be paying attention to uh, what our corporations are doing. And your, your topic is so vital to that because if our corporations aren't being held accountable and we don't have accountability leadership in there, 
Look at the impact it has to the world. Now, trust me, I think Bruce it, it did go out and vote. He did kind of say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but he was bringing up a point that pay attention to that. Pay attention to what our corporations are doing and the people that are leading those corporations. Okay, we come back, we'll finish up with uh, Sam Silverstein. We're talking about the four faces accountability and driving accountability in the organization when we come back. You listen to BizTalk on News Radio 1040 WHO. No time for the Wall Street Journal? Never mind. You're on BizTalk with Jim Labato on News Radio 1040 WHO. Glad you had a chance here to join us tonight. Our guest is Sam Silverstein. So far, we've covered the three faces of accountability. One, be accountable to ourselves. Number two, be accountable to others. Number three, help others be accountable to themselves. So, Sam, the fourth would be what then? Well, the fourth phase of accountability is the accountability that we help others hold to themselves. In the third phase, we're helping others be accountable to us. But in the fourth phase... Oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. The third phase, we're helping them be accountable to us. The fourth phase, we're actually helping them be accountable to themselves. And I'll give you an example. I'm in, uh, I'm in an accountability circle, or sometimes people call it a mastermind group. And there's six of us that get together on a monthly basis. We discuss what's going on in our, in our businesses. We have similar situations. And usually while we might share a success story, what we're talking about is where our greatest challenges are. And then based on the experiences of the others in the group, we might get some advice, some insights, and then we make commitments on what we're going to do the next month to solve those issues. Well, what are the odds that I'm going to show up for this meeting the next month not having done what I said I was going to do? Yeah, not great. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, so here's the situation. I'm going to show up. I'm going to make sure I'm going to have, I'm going to have this stuff done, and when I show up, what do they get out of my success by following up on what they suggested? Do they make any more money? Do they have any skin in the game? You know, not really. So what we've created is, is a situation where we're actually helping each other be accountable to ourselves, even though we have no personal gain, even though whether someone in my group succeeds or fails doesn't impact my business. But by creating a an environment of success, by creating an environment that's based in accountability, I grow and I, and, I, and I do better just like they're growing and they're doing better. Sam, have you ever seen a company that has taken that concept or you've talked about and put it inside their own organization to create their own groups? Well, we work with organizations to help them create a culture within the organization that's based in accountability. And one of the things that we do when we, when we build those systems for companies is we help them create accountability circles within the organization, and we encourage that because it's just such a powerful environment because the peer-to-peer learning, uh, you learn from other people's experiences, you don't have to make the same mistakes, and then you do create this environment where you naturally want to make sure you're getting done what it is you're supposed to be getting done. Well, and maybe it's just me, and our our audience is probably tracking faster, which I'm sure they are because they're, they're a great audience. But at the same time, I, I get the concept of direct reports and being held accountable to ourselves, but I'm, I'm missing how, how would you establish an accountability circle inside an organization? Well, for instance, um, I know you build high-performance sales teams. Yes. So 
what if inside of an organization there was, uh, I don't know, let's say there's 15 salespeople. You broke them into three groups of uh, five, and then uh, they worked with each other and met once a month in groups of five with uh, sharing what their greatest challenges were, working on that. Or potentially, you could even go across uh, areas of responsibility. So someone in sales could be meeting with someone in marketing, could be meeting with someone in research, and you could talk about the challenges and potentially, depending on experience, uh, levels of trust, and other factors that need to be in place, you have, you're putting together these peer groups where you're helping each other. You see, the challenge is if I report to you, I'm not as likely to tell you where I'm failing. But if I, if I have other peers that are at my level and I've created an environment that is based on trust and confidence, I'm more likely to share with them where my challenges are, and they're hopefully going to be willing to help me because they know they're going to face challenging times when they're going to want my help. So is, is it a matter of uh, just getting a group of people together? Does there need to someone to facilitate that? Is it a matter of writing down uh, what you're trying to be held accountable to? Well, the other th- those are great questions. And you can do them inside an organization, and you can do them from, in multiple organizations. But basically, the format that we teach is this. If, if you have six or seven people that um, you're going to get together once a month, and that meeting is going to last anywhere from one to two hours. And in that time period, everyone's going to get 15 minutes. And during that 15 minutes, you're going to share one success story, but then you're going to share where you need assistance. You're going to share where you're having a challenge. And maybe it's a challenge with a specific client. Maybe it's a challenge with a coworker where you're having trouble uh, uh, building the rapport that you need to build. Or maybe it's uh, uh, another challenge. And then the group helps based on experience, not on opinion, based on experience. And normally you can just take turns, and one person can make sure that you're staying on, on task and on the clock so that you're getting your 15 minutes and I'm getting mine. But it doesn't really take a lot of high-level facilitation to make this work. Sam, is there one question I should have asked you that I haven't asked you tonight? Well, that's a great question. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if there's a question that you should have asked. I think the key is that we need to step back and we need to look at ourselves as leaders. And it really doesn't matter whether we're leading in the family environment, we're leading in a business environment, we're leading in a synagogue or church or in our community. We need to create a society that, that has better leaders. And the very core of that is, is teaching accountability, teaching people to understand where their responsibility is and making sure they engage in those responsibilities and that they use that accountability in the service of others. Because as we serve others and help them grow, we grow as well. We become more effective leaders. And when we know what we're accountable for and we help others be accountable, then we're helping them be more effective leaders. It just creates an environment where we're going to be able to achieve what it is we're trying to achieve. Sam, as always, pleasure having you on our program. And we don't have a lot of time, but the one piece of advice you give leaders today is what? Everyone has the opportunity to become everything that they dream of being 10 years from now with the exception of the excuses that they either make or accept. Wow. We just need to eliminate those excuses. Thanks a lot, Sam. Thanks for being on our program. It's my pleasure.
This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, or you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.